So we're here today with Donna Wilson, Vice President, Industry Services and Sustainability at WorkSafe BC, for the second in our interviews on Are We There Yet? Women, Position and Power. Hi, Donna. Welcome. Hi there. Thank Thank, you. Oh, thank you so much for being here. So we're going to um, start off maybe just, uh, I think everybody, including me, is interested in hearing a little bit about you and how you got to where you are. So tell us a little bit about your journey. Well, it's um, it's interesting. My career uh, over the many years that I've been working, I have worked in a number of industries and um, usually spent a couple of years in an industry and then if, if another opportunity arose, I would, I would shift. So I've been in the airline industry, healthcare, energy, uh, financial services, major sport, and now I'm at, at uh, Works APC, which is sort of like a, the insurance industry, if you will. And um, my journey has really been one of um, working on uh, looking at the people side of businesses, typically, and working on opportunities that present themselves. So uh, I've usually worked in large, complex organizations, and um, it's been quite, quite a fun time for me. A lot of time spent in labor relations and then human resources, um, and several times working in an operating role, like I am right now. Okay. Um, now, of course, our focus is really on women <laughs> in this mm-hmm. journey. So can you tell us a little bit about how gender, uh, the fact that you're obviously a woman, has affected your career progression? Has it helped? Has it hindered? And in any way, just how it's, you think it's affected sort of your, your path? Well, I think um, I have to go back to the beginning of my career to talk about where gender affected the most, and then I have an example a little bit um, closer to today. When I first graduated from university, it was in the early 80s, and um, it, I had worked through summers in an administrative capacity because I could find that job easily, and it worked. I could do that for four months and go back to university. In hindsight, probably should have worked a little harder at working in a more professional capacity during that time because once I graduated, it took me a couple of years to get out of that administrative role into a professional role in human resources at that time. And I do believe that gender did play a role in, one, the type of jobs that were available to me as summer work, for example, and also the perception of the organization that I was a woman, I had, um, yes, I had a degree, um, I had an administrative background, Mm, were they going to take a risk? And in those days, um, it was actually vocalized to me. It was actually stated to me that, you know, we're taking a risk on you because you have a degree and and, um, you better prove that this risk is worth its while. I actually had someone say that to me, the the fellow that hired me into, into the professional job. So there was definitely... A barrier there. Um, some of it may have been created by myself for taking administrative roles when maybe I should have tried to find something a little bit um, more uh, of a professional nature, but for summer hires that's generally what was available in those days. As my career has progressed, um, I found that uh, in the human resources field, being male or female, it didn't really have an impact. Um, if you were good at your work, if you showed leadership, if you were creative and innovative, you did well. And that, and I benefited from that. And I, as I said earlier, 
moved from different industries when opportunities presented themselves. And just the ability to have that flexibility and be able to do that um, ended up being quite an asset. Um, at the point in my career where I was a senior manager, I had probably about 600 employees under me at the time. Um, I had a network of managers under me across the entire province of British Columbia. I was then looking at moving into the executive world. And that's probably the next time where I really felt a gender um, piece where I was thinking, I was, I was working to become a vice president and um, I was, it was very close run, um, but I didn't get the role. And probably I didn't get the role because I wasn't the best candidate at the time, but some of the background talk that took place with me, um, with people who were involved on the selection committee, made it pretty clear to me that I didn't get the role um, because both uh, my youthfulness at the time and my gender, there was just a perception of less experience and more risk. Now, you know, I can't say it was black and white because I was a woman, but it was a combination of, of age and probably um, gender as well. Having said that, um, very quickly after that, I, other opportunities presented themselves, and I ended up entering into the executive world as a vice president of human resources at Vance City. Um, so personally, I haven't had a lot of barriers because of gender um, in terms of seeking career moves. So in that area, I would say it's been just those two stories, I would say. Okay. Now, when you moved out of HR and into other roles, first at Vanock, I think, and now here at WorkSafe, was there, how did I, you do that? Well, I think um, it's interesting. It's one where you have to prove yourself mm -hmm. as at being, um, being a good performer. And... Um, one of the things that I have found is the doors open faster and easier for a woman in the field of HR and often marketing or communications. That seems to be where the door opens faster, and I see far more women working it in those fields at senior levels in organizations. Moving into the operating area, um, my own experience has been that if I proved my abilities in those other areas, then things broadened out for me. And the, ex the opportunity, for example, to come to WorkSafe BC, at the end of the Olympics, I um, had a couple of opportunities available to me. One of them was in human resources. The other was this one, which was truly an operating role. I have three major lines of business, um, two corporate lines of business, and um, I'm not in human resources. And the whole conversation I was having with the CEO of WorkSafe BC at the time was, we know you can do the, the people side of the business. We're a business that is about people, but I want to um, give you the opportunity to run an operation and get to know our work. And I, I like to believe that that was because of my performance in delivering on the Olympic Games. Um, and, and so I took that opportunity. So that's how that one came. Um, and I, I think everyone's up. Everyone, there's a lot of competition at the top of organizations okay. for very few jobs. My view is, is that it is about proving your performance. At the end of the day, that's what it's about. Okay. Now, a couple of things. You mentioned risk a couple of times. 
So do you think the risk is simply that women are still somewhat of an unknown or pe- or do you think it's a risk when people haven't worked with women? Because obviously that risk didn't present to the CEO at WorkSafe because he was interested in you moving. So mm-hmm. what's your perception on where this risk issue comes from? Yeah, I think you've actually nailed it in your two examples. There's one, it's... Um, I think a lot of the senior um, people happen to be male that they have not had a lot of experience maybe working with women um, in senior roles outside of maybe human resources. And so the unknown is the unknown. And I I would say all of us have that Mm -hmm. feeling of riskiness when we're dealing with someone that we don't know. So I do think that that does play. I think if the person at the top of any organization has the opportunity to witness the performance of someone, whether they're male or female, that will reduce that risk. And I I don't think necessarily that women are in a greater deficit situation if they are able to prove and and demonstrate their skills and abilities. The other risk, though, is um, women, from my perspective, I often will approach problems from a different way. A different perspective. Mm-hmm. I, I um, am less. I'm less linear, linear in my thinking, and more lateral in my thinking. And so I will look at many other factors. I will look at a broader context often, and come to a decision um, from, from maybe a different way than than others would be used to. And that would be the other risk: is that if you're um, if, if the top of an organization is dominated by men and they're used to a certain type of thinking and then they introduce someone who has a different type of thinking, that feels risky. I would say it's probably the same way if you're in an organization that's led by women mm-hmm. and they're looking at hiring men. It, it would be a similar risk, mm-hmm. and they would be looking at it that way as well. The other thing that I, I've recently completed the director's college, and uh, which is training on governance and running uh-huh. organizations at the board level, and it was very good to go through that program because um, it was largely men. There mm-hmm. were few women in the in the program, and I began to reflect on why was that the case, and I'm wondering if some of it is that men are much more um, confident that they can run the top of businesses. And maybe women, there's fewer of us that are willing to take that on. So I'm not sure how much of it is the perception of men to women or how much of it is just what women think they're capable of doing. Right, and that was actually something that we heard when I when we spoke with Anne Kinvig in our first interview was how much of what's holding women back is our self-limiting beliefs which is what she, her first thing that she said when she was asked, could, did she want to move into the COO? She said, oh, no, I can't do that job, right? So, mm-hmm. so you're finding that same. I'm absolutely finding that, mm-hmm. and I think that uh, a really good area where I personally have experienced it and I've seen other women experience it is in the financial review, financial oversight. Okay. Um, I've noticed that uh, people will self-limit there, that, gee, maybe I can't, um, be an executive or I can't lead an operation or lead an organization because I'm not a CFO. Right. Um, I'm not an accountant. But absolutely um, limiting themselves to understand that they have really strong financial acuity and financial sensibilities so that 
they would potentially limit themselves from, from taking on those more senior roles. I did see some of that even in this training. Really interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, and I just want to uh, follow up on what you said about, so when you came to WorkSafe that the, the CEO was interested in having you, now did he talk to you about why, where his interest was in having you, you I know you, you, you know the people side of the business, the operational side of the business. What's his interest in having you move there. Well, um, the conversation was really around WorkSafe BC looking at its succession plan, and okay. um, he and uh, his um, executive team, there were a number of them that are at, at the same age, and he really wanted to deepen having senior executives that had a much younger age than the ones that were, were there already. So that was a really key part of the conversation, and he had I had worked with in my capacity as the Executive Vice President of um, Human Resources and Sustainability at, at Bannock, I had worked with WorkSafe BC's executive team okay. to build what we called the legacy of safety for the Olympics. Okay. And it was a partnership whereby we increased the um, knowledge, the training, and the emphasis on safety in the Olympics, both at the worker level and at the contractor level and across the whole um, Olympic um, portfolio, way more than previous Olympics had. So he saw me working. Mm -hmm. He said that he appreciated the way I um, made decisions. He appreciated the way I presented issues to them and um, some of the innovation and, and flexibility. So again, back to my earlier comments, he had the benefit of actually seeing me right. in, in action. Mm -hmm. And uh, that combined with... Um, sort of understanding the breadth of responsibility that I had at Van Ock, I think was what led to him being interested in bringing me into his team. Okay, great. So one of the takeaways, what I'm hearing is that women, in addition to the self-limiting thing, but it's looking for opportunities where women can be exposed to senior leaders and demonstrate their abilities. And sometimes even if that's not a paid position, but even in a volunteering position, it's just about getting to a place where you can demonstrate and then that deals with the risk issue we talked about before. I agree and I think the idea of volunteer is a really good one too because there's lots of opportunities in the nonprofit world to work on boards or or um, or even work on projects mm -hmm. where a lot of senior people do that um, as part of their rounding their portfolios and you can get exposed to people that you don't necessarily work for yet, right. but they can see you in action. There's some really good opportunities there. I also think that as a woman, um, I found that moving through my career, when I was in that sort of middle of my career level, getting on projects that were within that organization that were leading to significant change, like complete redesign projects or um, re-engineering projects, really allowed me to... Um, be seen mm -hmm. and um, by more senior people in those organizations, and then they could begin to understand what your capabilities were. Okay. So I do agree; those those opportunities are ones that we should take, and women shouldn't limit themselves from taking them. And the other thing I'm hearing is relationship building and looking for opportunities to build relationship, maybe a little bit outside of our comfort zone, which means not just building relationships with other women within women's groups, where we all feel a little maybe happier, safer, yeah. whatever the case may be. I definitely do. I mean, I have lots of women friends that mm -hmm. I enjoy spending time with and counsel from and all that. 
But I, over the years, have had um, several men that have helped me um, through mentorship. Mm-hmm. Um, early in my career, I um, would have coffee with this one fellow that uh, really helped guide me in my early stage of my career on some very fundamental pieces, which were really helpful. And then later on, um, I've had a number of uh, male friends that, you know, from time to time, we'll just meet for coffee and and talk about just how to navigate through career in, Mm -hmm. in, in, in the world of business. And I do think it's really helpful to to have those kinds of friends and um, very beneficial to me and I'm sure it would be for anyone else. Whenever I'm approached by people, I always make myself available where I can because I found it really helpful for me when I was Mm -hmm. younger and if I can help someone else in their career, I'm really willing to do that. Interestingly, I get approached more by women than I do by men and I think that is something that women do is Mm -hmm. we go to other women for advice rather than other men or whatever. And men, very. I, I've had a couple that will come to me, and I could probably count on one hand that over time I've been given counsel to. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, speaks to the risk thing. So, ladies, mm-hmm. it's about stepping out of your comfort zone and saying, yeah. yeah, I have an option here, and yes, this woman looks great and I'm comfortable with her, but in terms of what we're hearing here is if you're interested in making it to the C-suite, you might want to think about how can I form a relationship with men who are in the C-suite because that will assist in terms of getting different perspectives and also creating the kinds of relationships that can maybe assist further down the line. Absolutely. I think one of the very key learnings, if you want to go into the C-suite, actually there's two key learnings. One relates to figuring out how to navigate being an executive, both at the relationship level, but how to move things through to get decisions that you want the organization Mm -hmm. to make absolutely through. It is not a straight line, and um, men navigate differently than women, and so given the nature of executive committees, they're generally, you know, at best balanced between men and women, often dominated by men. You need to understand how to to work that, and Mm -hmm. I think men can help us with that. And the second thing is, is when you make this decision that you wanted to become uh, a woman in power, a woman at an executive level, realize the balance is going to shift in your life. And um, your work-life balance will shift. And you have to consciously make that decision. And your family has to be aware that you're making that decision. Because you will devote much more time to work. And it is part of the territory of being an executive. And so you've got to go in with your eyes open there. Okay, great. Well, you've given me a lovely segue to my next question, which has to do with women in power, something that I talk about constantly. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the quotes that I use a lot, I did a closing keynote last year for uh, the Wealth Academy for Women, and I was Googling women in power, and the first quote that came up that's now possibly more infamous to some of you listening to this interview because of my uh North America's Next Greatest Speaker competition, but the quote was, powerful women are either sexually voracious rulers like Catherine the Great or Elizabeth I, or treacherous bitches like Cleopatra or Helen of Troy. Now, you just talked about being a woman in a position of power. So I really think that I'm, and I'm, I'm certainly interested, and I know all of our listeners and readers are interested in your thoughts on the reality of being a woman in a position of power given the stereotypes and biases that are out there. And in addition, what tips might you have for young women contemplating working their way 
up the corporate power hierarchy and how can they negotiate and, and manifest their power in a way that will work for them? So um, there's so many answers to this, but I would say um, I'll start with, you know, the tips. And uh, your, your quote is, is really bang on, actually. <laughs> <laughs> because um, a tip I would make to some to particularly people in the early to mid-stage of their career is be very, very careful about any perception that you are sleeping your way to the top. Okay. It's an old, old saying. It isn't necessary. It's inappropriate. It's, um, it, it takes away from you in terms of your brain power and, and who you are in terms of a, a, a worker, an employee, a, a potential executive. So I, I think it's just be, be wary of it, um, be careful of it. I, I stay away from any kind of relationship with anybody at work um, in that type of manner. It, mm-hmm. I really have some strong views of that and I and I think it's it's really comes from years and years of experience and um, so I think if you are very clear about um, needing to move forward and want and you want to move forward you've made that decision because you can it is a decision you have to make that you want to pursue to become a woman in a power position the the next piece of advice I would I would take is um, is to know that um, to be powerful doesn't mean that you have to bully your way there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can talk a little bit about bullying in a minute, but mm-hmm. I, I think that it is competitive. There's no question about it, but my preference is to show um, the quality of who you are, what your skills are, your finesse, your relationship skills, both your technical skills, all of that, rather than bullying your way to the top and, and um, leaving um, dead bodies behind you. So I, I think the two strategies that I really find not appropriate and a little offensive are anything related to, you know, Catherine the Great strategy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just don't think it's worth it. I just would not advise anyone. And then the other one is, is that bullying strategy. I really think that uh, you don't have to do that and it will take away from you in the end, and it might prevent you from getting that top position, for example. Um, I think the reality of being a woman in power is you need to be assertive and sometimes aggressive, and don't be ashamed of that. But there's a difference from being assertive and aggressive and being a bully and being overly competitive, and just pay attention to those differences. I've had... People in my career, um, particularly when I was trying, I was making that step from senior manager into executive, kind of give me signals that you know you're very assertive, you're you're quite aggressive, and I wasn't doing anything different than any man my mm-hmm. age and at their stage in the career was doing. I was doing nothing different. I wasn't known to be a bitch. I wasn't known to be doing anything untoward, but because I was really clear that this is what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. that seemed to be a bit of a problem for, for some people at the time. But I stuck to my guns, and I think uh, my advice to anyone would be to just stick to your guns. That's so interesting because 
you know, I speak so much in my work about the importance of women stepping into their power and speaking up and saying, what well, you know, first of all, speaking up against disrespectful behavior, but beyond that, it, you know, it, we heard this last interview as well, it's about speaking up, and so that's exactly what you were just talking about. But again, I think because normally women don't do that, when they do, it's perceived as, hmm, because it's not typically woman womanly behavior. I agree. Yeah, I totally agree. So I think what I'm taking away from that is one of the ways that women can step into their power is to be comfortable demonstrating those kinds of assertive, quasi-aggressive, as you put them, behaviors and feeling comfortable it's okay to do that because this is how this game is played. In this world, in this world of organizations and, and running organizations and being in a position of power, mm-hmm. absolutely. But again, carefully watch that you don't move into the bullying zone because that whether you're a man or a woman is deserves it doesn't serve you right and if you were to sort of say what what's the sort of crossover how do you watch that i think i think what's, the crossover is do you feel good about yourself do you feel are you getting really being assertive about um, what your rights are or what you um, believe in yourself what what you have to offer to an organization and being assertive enough to make that declaration. If, for example, you applied for um, a vice president job, you didn't get it, um, going after finding out why, having conversation around that, some may perceive that as being a little bit assertive, a little bit aggressive, because they're uncomfortable with having to give you feedback, potentially. That, to me, is well within the zone of appropriate, and it's about taking control of your power, as you're saying. Um, but I think if you um, take it to the level where you can tell that you are diminishing other people mm-hmm. and that you're taking air out of their space, that's not worth it, and okay. that starts to get into the bullying zone. Right. And what I hear there is a bit of power of confidence. Yeah. Really that's, being, that's, you know, being yeah. confident and saying, yeah. you know, I want to know, I'm, and that's belief in oneself, which again, as women, we sometimes are a little weak in that area. And, you know, I still to this day struggle with it. Really? I absolutely do. There are times when I let myself not ask the question because I say, oh, well, maybe I'll just wait a little longer. You know, I do the woman thing. Absolutely wow. do. So, you know, we are who we are. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's, yeah, yeah, from time to time. Oh, interesting. So there you go. I mean, obviously, it's a pretty compelling thing that happens to us, yeah. even when we have reached the level of success yeah. and accomplishment mm-hmm. that you have, which is fairly formidable. Now, the next thing I wanted to talk about is something you alluded to in your earlier response about the work-life balance. Um, now, research clearly supports that having children is a career liability for women interested in making it to the C-suite. And I know that you do have children. Mm-hmm. You, you, you're a mom and a family person. Um, so I wanted your perception on how you feel about the reality and your experience. And in addition, what thoughts you have about how to address the issue so that the playing field can be equalized, or even if you think, is it even possible to ever equalize the playing field relative to this issue of having kids? Yeah, okay. So at, I've, I had children. I actually um, took a few years. I never totally didn't work. Um, I had a husband where we could balance the sharing of the child rearing um, responsibility. 
Um, but I did work part-time. I did take myself out of the fast track uh, for a period of time. I had my children fairly young compared to where people are having them now. I was in my 20s when I uh, started having kids. And I was already someone who I knew I wanted to one day work in a senior capacity in an organization. I, I figured that out fairly early in my okay. career. Um, again, back to what I said earlier, I, I made that decision in my mind. Um, probably didn't communicate it that great with my husband at the time, but over, <laughs> over time we, I did communicate it better. And, and he, he and we're still married for you know we've been well over thirty years. But um, the stepping back was I felt very fearful at the time. Mm-hmm. But I have to say I it was not a liability for me. Really, I actually figured out, and I think people people can figure it out. It depends on the timing of your career. I was already well in, enough into my career as a professional that I had um, credibility and, and I had the beginnings of a resume that actually shared that I was working as a, an HR professional at the time or a labor relations professional. And then I had children and I worked, at the time I was very fortunate, I worked in organizations where I was able to go on a part-time basis for a period of a couple of years. And, um, and then I went back full-time at a professional level. What it may have done is slowed down my path. I would probably say by a couple of years, two to three, maybe four years, there would be men same, that are the same age as I that progressed faster okay. than I did. But I still progressed. Okay. So it didn't jeopardize my ability to get to the top. All it did was it paused it a little bit. But quite frankly, um, my kids are way more important than being a vice president is. And, um, and, I, and I just want to share with everyone that, you know, I had the same feelings of fear and worry. Would I ever, ever get back in the workplace to a level that I could take this forward? And yes, I did. And, um, and I think anyone can. But your kids are really important. And uh, they are really the only legacy that will ever be remembered long after you're dead. Because once you leave an organization, the ripples disappear fairly quickly. And uh, so I just encourage everyone that has children to keep their mind open. Um, If you can work part-time, do that. Or consult if you can keep yourself still engaged in it. If not, um, I still think you can still get back. Find someone like myself and others that are out there that have gone through the career and touch base with them as you're trying to re-enter, and, and we can help you. In fact, I've, I've got a, a person right now that has made contact with me, and I don't know this person, but through connections we've connected, and she's trying to get back in after taking six years out, and mm-hmm. I'll do whatever it can, I can to help her get back in. Probably she'll enter in at a professional level, even though she left at a senior management level, but she she should be able to get back there. Okay, great. And so again, it's about speaking up and asking for what you need. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is not being fearful. Not being fear. Don't let your fears get in your yeah, way. I mean, you're going to feel the worry probably, like, oh, will this you know, be worth it and, and all of that. And, um, and staying in touch with the work world. Okay. Um, I, and there's so many ways to do that mm-hmm. now. So I think that's 
keeping your yeah. connections out there is really important. Particularly with online and all of the networking, Absolutely. social yeah. networking, it's even easier. It's even easier. Now, I just wanted to go back to something you said before, though, but once you get it, got into the senior suite, you said there was a much bigger time commitment. So can you just speak to that a little bit for younger sure. women or, you know, junior women that are thinking about it, just so we have a sense of what what are we really looking at? Yeah. Um, if you... My experience has been when you do get to the C-suite, um, you, you're expected to be available to the organization at any time it needs you. Okay. And um, there's often um, lots of business trips. There's often uh, retreats or time away doing strategic planning. And while that all sounds really sexy and groovy and all that stuff... <laughs> from the outside <laughs> when you're there it's it's a lot of work yeah and um you know travel sounds sexy you know yes i've gone to all these cities and all that but you're seeing a lot of airports and a lot of hotel rooms and a lot of meeting rooms um you don't get to necessarily do any other activity um so that's time away from your family then you come back and you don't sort of have days off necessarily to um, make up for the time you were away in the evening during the week so I, I found that um, your days are definitely um, long, uh, especially if you are a leader that's coming in to a new role at the C-suite where there's an expectation of some kind of change. You'll find that there will be a lot of time needed to implement, get that change happening, and, and the travel. So, so that's the nature of it. If you have children, I found that um, I wouldn't have been able to have taken that on when, if my kids were younger. Okay. My kids, when I went into the C-suite, were in high school and university, and I think that really helped. Because my husband works full-time, mm -hmm. and, and we didn't have someone there full-time. If you have other means, like a nanny or um, a partner that's home full-time, then you could probably do it earlier. Okay. Yeah. But you really need to be aware of that. Okay, great. Now, we talked to, you mentioned a little bit before about, you know, the difference between assertion, aggression, and bullying. So my next question really is focusing on um, the issues of harassment and bullying, which is very much the focus, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I say unfortunately mm -hmm. because I'm, my interest is in eradicating these issues, but I do spend a lot of time looking at these power-based disrespectful behaviors. And uh, one of the unfortunate stats is that women are overwhelmingly targeted in these complaints, and that in three out of four of those complaints... It's women targeting other women. Um, and I wanted to sort of get your perspective on have you experienced that? Have, you know, what's your thought on that? And where do you think this sort of women brutalizing their sisters is coming from? And if you have any idea about how we can start to shift that reality. Yeah, um, I've experienced bullying um, twice in my career at the C-suite level. So oh. before that, I actually didn't experience bullying, interestingly enough. And I, ha I did experience sexual harassment, absolutely, um, earlier in my career. Uh, but um, the bullying itself, I have experienced it from men and women. So specifically to your question around women, I have to say it surprised me um, and I think it, it comes from a place, and probably with men as well, it, it, the two experiences that I've had with it is it seems to come from a place where I, um, 
the people don't believe that I uh, agree with them or they need to make sure that their views prevail. And I can only think that it's because uh, maybe I created a, a situation where they felt a little bit more intimidated than they were used to. And, um, and it took me by surprise, because in the, t in the moments that they happened, I wasn't in the power position. There was definitely, I was either um, new, or I was physically smaller than in, in one instance, and so I never felt the same power base. I may have been equal mm -hmm. in terms of job level, but there was a definitely, in my view, I wasn't in the power position. But I think because I was challenging what was being said, and my challenge approach is typically query, mm -hmm. asking questions and, and saying, well, this is what I think we should be doing here. And then the response came back. With the woman, I, I really think it, um, I've seen this particular individual um, do it to others, and then I've experienced it as well. And I think it just comes from a, a place of lack of confidence, potentially. Mm -hmm. I don't know that the individual is aware that they are doing bullying. Mm -hmm. um, and I also don't think she's been called on it by yeah. her CEO. Mm -hmm. And I think CEOs need to take responsibility for that. I haven't seen, I have worked with a number of CEOs now. I have not seen a CEO bully. Okay. So in my experience, I haven't seen that. It's, just, it's been others on the executive team. And I think um, some of it, it, it must be learned. It must be a successful tactic that's been mm -hmm. used before. Um, and I think unless the person is aware that they are using that tactic, they have no ability to change it. So, um, yeah, I don't really... I just, it's funny, because when it happens to me... I'm almost in the middle of it before mm -hmm. I realize that this uh, is what's yep. going on, you know. Absolutely. And then you don't necessarily respond well. You just, I find I almost do fold my tent mm -hmm. for a while and sort of scurry away and, mm -hmm. and try and recover, uh, which is, you know, maybe sounds strange for someone like myself that's in, a, in strong positions, but um, even I'm physically, I, I feel it when it happens. Well, that's why I, mm -hmm. I don't like it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. No, and that's typically the response. What is interesting, though, in your response, as you said, is that you are in such a senior position and in the position of power. So I think, you know, for those that are listening, obviously it's not, you know, even if you're not in the position of power, it's just I think that's the reaction we get as individuals, as people, when we're faced with that yeah. kind of behavior. Yeah, the one thing I... I try and monitor myself because I know um, with my direct reports and their direct reports if I'm in meetings there are times when I will get very strong on a, on a point and one of the things I'm watching when I do that is the effect it's having on others and okay. always I work very hard at, at the end of a meeting if, I've, if something's come in and, and I said look I, I really don't agree with that here's what I think and, and I can tell people are kind of going whoa this is like strong, I always stop and say, listen, are, are we okay with what's just happened here? Because I don't want them to feel bullied. Mm -hmm. um, that is not my intention. But at the same time, there are times when you do have to be strong yep. in, in whatever it is the point is that you're making. So there's a big difference, and I think it's really important that people watch the effect they're having on people. Mm -hmm. My experience um, with bullying 
bullies that are there is that they aren't aware. No. They don't have that awareness. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So you just have to stand back from it and realize that the person, there's stuff going on for that person, and really take care of your reaction to it and mm-hmm. make sure that you don't fold your tent unnecessarily. Or if you have to fold your tent for protection, then, then do. But, you know, watch your own behavior. And if, you know, I mean, big theme of mine is speak up, speak out, because I, you know, it's one of my main issues mm-hmm. is if we would speak up and give that kind of feedback or share our observations about that kind of behavior, it it would have a likelihood of changing, because my experience is exactly as you've articulated. It's that individuals that engage in this simply don't have an idea that they are, because the behavior in itself is quite off-putting, mm-hmm. and so generally no one talk, talks to them about it or shares those observations. So I think one thing is to see if you can figure out a way to do that, and I guess the other thing would be to encourage the CEOs of the world yeah. As you said, to to take some, you know, take to some take some uh, and 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 speak up about it. So I think the difficulty, because it can happen at different levels in the yeah. organization. It just so happens that I've dealt with it at a more senior level. It can happen at all levels. But right. I think the difficulty that the person that's experiencing being bullied, yeah, to to speak up to that person and say you're bullying me is tough. Oh, and absolutely. I don't know that you're ever going to be in a power position, regardless of what level in an organization you are, to be able to have that conversation. So how you could get to that person's boss without creating jeopardy for yourself is, I don't have the answer to that Mm -hmm. yet. Um, But I do think that if you are a person that has people reporting to you and you start hearing that one of the people that you're responsible for is using a bullying tactic with their employees, you should take responsibility for having a conversation with that person, letting them know that that feedback is there, and getting them some coaching assistance to help them change right. their behavior. So that's all I can say about mm-hmm. it. I, you know, mm-hmm. can I tell a bullier that they're a bully? I'm even I can't. It's mm-hmm. tough to no, do that. No, it is tough. It is really tough. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, the last thing I wanted to um, ask you today uh, to close our interview is: if you were able to speak to a group of male CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, what might you say to them around the topic that we've been discussing here? And the second piece is, if you could speak to an ambitious group of Gen Y women, what would you most like to say to them? So the group of male CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, um, I would just like to say to them, um, open your doors to welcoming women at the table. Um, don't be afraid to. Uh, it, it broadens the discussion and brings in uh, different ways of looking at the same problems that they're dealing with. So um, I I think all CEOs need to make sure that they surround themselves with people who are very, very good at what they do, but don't always have the same view of life that they do. Because if you only hire people that look and see the world the way you do, the opportunity for your organization is much narrower. Uh, By bringing people in that have other views and other ways of looking at the world, you have greater opportunities open to you as an organization. And I think for women, young women, we've already talked a little bit about it. Mm-hmm. Think about what you're at wanting. If you want to be a woman in a power position in an organization, be conscious of that choice. Be conscious of what's involved in that choice. Um, the impact it will have on your work-life balance and how that will shift for you and that you need to take accountability and responsibility for that. 
And also, um, don't be afraid. Don't limit yourself. Be, um, expose yourself to all elements. You may say to yourself, gee, I'm not financial in a background, which seems to be the area that I'm picking up the most in, with women, that they okay. are feeling the most uh, afraid sometimes. Spend your time learning that area so that you don't have that fear to, to carry around with you, but just um, boldly go. Go forward. Okay, yeah, the finances is something that we heard also in the last interview with Anne. She said the same thing. That's an area um, of possible perception of weakness, so mm -hmm. go after it. Yeah, just uh, figure it out, you know, expose yourself to financial um, elements and, and increase your literacy. It's as if you're learning a new language, just increase your literacy okay, in that area. Well, thank you so much for taking the time with us today. I know that I found this fascinatingly interesting, and I'm sure all of our readers and listeners will as well. Thank Bye. you so much. Oh, thank you.